My name is Jeremy Devins and welcome to the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And today I'm going to be talking all about this BBC article that just came out last week when I'm recording this, November 3rd, 2019, it came out. And it's a, it's a great article and it addresses a lot of the things that I talk about in my teaching and it just validates the approach that I found works best for most people, best for my body. And I'll share some of the insights in the article. It's a really good read and I'll share sort of my take on it in ways that you can apply it as a teacher and a student, which they don't address because they're not speaking to yoga practitioners or teachers, but they are speaking in general to people who are interested in yoga and want to know that there is a serious risk of hip issues. So before I get into that, I want to let you know that I'm hosting a retreat on January 17th outside of Austin, Texas called Mindful New Year. You can check out all the info at mindfulnewyear.com. There's limited space available to stay there for the full weekend, but you can just come on a Saturday or you can do it all online remotely if you can't make it to Austin that week. So check it out at mindfulnewyear.com. And it's uh, all focused on creating your own practices and your own rhythms for the year and knowing the significant transits coming up from Vedic astrology, the seasons based on Ayurveda, and then physical asana practices, meditation, pranayama that you can do to stay in alignment throughout the year based on your unique type. And that's all laid out in the course. So if you want a sort of outline for your year ahead, review of the past year, to feel fully in alignment, in, in integrity, on purpose, focused throughout the year. This is the same thing that I've used for the last 10 years now and refined over the years, and I'm sharing it here in the Mindful New Year retreat. So that's at mindfulnewyear.com. All right, so let's check out this article. So I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go read it yourself. I'm going to read through some of the highlights and then talk about how I've seen this show up in yoga practices and how you might see this show up in your practice so just an overview here, it talks about yoga's popularity, it says yoga's popularity does not look like it will wane anytime soon. Its physical benefits for flexibility and balance, as well as its, as well as its spiritual connection, mean it's practiced by millions across the world. And that means a need for more and more yoga teachers, but now there is a warning they may be putting their own hip health at risk. So before I continue on, I want to address one thing up front there is I know that most people from the research shows that uh, most people practice yoga for flexibility. That's like one of the main reasons people come to yoga classes. I have a kind of skewed perspective because I know the students who come to me come to me also for strength building. And that's something that I focus on because I realized my own practice in my own study of anatomy that the muscles actually need to have just as much strength in proportion to the flexibility to function at their best. Otherwise, we end up having tightness. And this is why you see, maybe you've been in this boat and you see people who have been practicing for years, maybe five, somewhere around three to five years is when this starts to happen where it's like, I was doing yoga every day, but now I'm starting to have back pain. And it can't be in my yoga practice. It must be something I'm doing outside of yoga, I'm starting to have this hip pain. It can't be yoga related because yoga helps everything. So how could it possibly be yoga's fault that I'm having these persistent physical issues when I'm doing yoga every day and it feels great? And I just do yoga and then it feels better and then I go back to my life and then it gets worse. So what's happening there? Right. So as I teach in my classes and everything I talk about in my own practice and what I share is, what I learned was essentially I had tight hamstrings, I had tight upper back, tight traps, I had some common issues, I was having low back pain 
consistently. And this was all like three to five years into my practice as I experienced. And I've seen with others now over the years as I sort of saw this pattern. And I realized that uh, just stretching it out wasn't working anymore. And I would go to my teachers and mentors and they'd say, here's another approach. You can try these stretches. Of course, I have many great mentors and like many have received so much benefit and value from my teachers. Uh, not all of them said just do more flexibility stuff, but that's generally the consensus among yoga teachers, especially a few years ago. It was more just like stretch it out and here's some other stretches, here's some other approaches and, uh, you know, just keep practicing and all will come sort of thing. And I would do that and then I would feel better in the practice, but I didn't feel better in the long run. So I had to go outside of yoga and look at strength training and what physical therapists say and what sports medicine doctors say and what doctors say and just getting a different perspective, a broader range of perspectives. And one of the things I found was learning to contract my hamstrings, which is something I just had not done for years. I actually came to yoga from doing strength training before that. And maybe you've done some strength training. I know a lot of people I meet have done at least some. Maybe they used to do it or maybe they switched to just doing yoga. And that was kind of me. I switched to just doing yoga for years because it felt so great. But I reached a limit where I was not uh, serving my muscles, my body actually to the fullest because the muscles need to be able to contract fully just as much as they need to be able to extend to their end range. Muscles can do two things, either contract or lengthen. And if we just focus on one of those things, we're going to have issues. If we're constantly lengthening and pulling this band that can also contract and create density in the fibers by contracting, if we're just constantly lengthening, uh, those muscle fibers are going to eventually have weaknesses. So when we go to do things that require strength, uh, they're going to be quickly overloaded and then they're going to get tight and cramped up and that's going to cause the tension that we feel and then we think maybe i'll just stretch it more and then i'll feel better right and this whole mindset this whole philosophy and sort of approach to yoga is a cause of a lot of issues and i'm just kind of going on a rant here at the beginning because it just focuses on saying that yoga is about flexibility and balance it doesn't say the word strength and i think that is a much needed evolution of yoga that is happening in a lot of ways and it needs to be addressed. Like we're talking about working with the physical body to use it as a method and means to reach a sort of awakening and awareness, right? That's what yoga is, at least in a broad definition. It's not about, can you touch your toes in Paschimottanasana? It's not about, can you actually strengthen your hamstrings, right? That's not the goal either, but we want the whole spectrum. We want the holistic perspective to know, like I have awareness and control and yoga is actually quite a bit about control uh you know if you're a control freak and that's triggering for you that's the reality of it it's really very much about controlling the mind controlling the senses controlling the body and having awareness of how it's all working so that we can direct that more intentionally so it doesn't have control of us because if we don't take the reins uh, we're going to be led by pleasure seeking pleasure avoiding pain and just repeating all sorts of patterns and causing all sorts of wreckage in our lives. But we want to have that control and awareness where we can activate when we need to and be firm when we need to be in our lives, but also deactivate and be soft when we need to and be responsive and receptive to life when we need to. And that's stira and sukha. That's strength and flexibility. It's not just sukha, right? If we just talk about sukha, that's just the flexibility. You could, you know, sort of generalize in that way. 
uh, but we need both. It's the stira sukha asana. That's what the yoga sutra teach, and that's what I teach, and that's something missing in yoga, and that's how this whole article really comes about. So as I continue on here, Benoit Matthews, a leading UK-based physiotherapist, warns he is seeing increasing numbers of yoga teachers with serious hip problems, many of whom require surgery because they're pushing their bodies too hard. Now, based on what I said, you can guess, they're probably pushing too much into the flexibility and almost rarely, if ever, into the strength, right? Because that's what we think of yoga. We think of being very flexible. And uh, especially around the hips, there's a lo- all sorts of poses where you have to really, uh, you could significantly stretch the ligaments in the hips. And the hips are meant to be very stable, right? The SI joint, very stable, has a very small range of motion compared to, for example, the thoracic spine, which can move quite a bit into flexion and extension. Continuing on, Mr. Matthews, Benoit Matthews, a specialist hip and knee physiotherapist and member of the Chartered Society of Physiotherapists, says he sees four to five yoga teachers a month. He sees the problem lies in people repeatedly pushing their bodies into quote-unquote prescribed positions when their physiology prevents it. About half of the teachers he sees simply need advice on how to moderate the prescribed yoga positions so as not to put too much stress on their joints. But those with more advanced problems need medical treatment and surgery, including total hip replacements. And you can search this yourself, look up hip replacements yoga teachers, and you'll see some people who have been practicing for a long time, 20, 30, 40 years, who would do things that would constantly pull on those ligaments of the hips and emphasize in range of flexibility and they had to get their hips replaced and they had to go to western medical approach to things because this eastern approach of just you know just push through it or sort of ignoring the signs of the body that uh you know feel pain and just saying well just push through it and it'll change and it does change and your body will adapt but often at the expense of pulling on ligaments which are not meant to be pulled and and lengthened in the way that muscles are. So I'll continue on here. People confuse stiffness and pain, he says. If there's a pinching or blocking feeling in the groin, it shouldn't be ignored. You have to know your limits. And this has gotten so much better in recent years, but there's such a long history of people saying, you know, essentially the pain, just push through it. And Iyengar, Joyce, Bikram, these very, very successful lineages that have are still very much proliferated throughout the world they they have this ingrained of like just push through it and i know a lot of recent teachers i actually know people who teach these styles who don't teach that way i think we've come a long way in our evolution of understanding the body and understanding yoga that there are thankfully people even teaching in those lineages who don't push their students in that way anymore and that's great Uh, Mr. Matthews has specialized in hips and knees for the last eight of his 22 years as a physio. He says it can be easy for yoga practitioners to mistake joint pain, which means they should stop the movement for stiffness, which they should push through. So joint pain versus muscular stiffness. And what they don't say here, and it's really important, is that muscular stiffness is often caused by not tight muscles that need to be stretched more, but by weak muscles that need to be strengthened. And this is counterintuitive in some ways, 
right? And this is what I was afraid of. I was afraid if I keep working out and do yoga, my muscles will get shorter by working out. Seems like it makes sense, right? They're getting shorter to do concentric, contracting motions. And then I go to yoga, try to lengthen it out, and there's this sort of uh, push-pull, and I'm going to have to sacrifice one or the other. It's actually not how the body works, and it's almost the exact opposite, where the more I contract my muscles and build strength, the easier, the more likely, the more open my muscles will be to stretching. Often within even one pose, right? There's ways that I'll teach like a uh, half splits pose, Ardhana Manasana, where you dig your heel in and down. You contract the hamstrings and then you let it go. And often that stimulates something called the Golgi tendon organ, which basically tells the muscle to relax. So you contract so much that you kind of reach your end of your ability to hold that contraction as you've probably experienced from working out there's a point where you reach a fatigue and it's like everything kind of softens up like you kind of turn to mush not to that extreme necessarily but to some level of that you can contract the muscles and that will allow them to relax more into the flexibility which i've experienced from my hamstrings almost daily in my practice which before it was just just stretch it out and just stretch and what i would start to feel and I wasn't quite aware of this then, but I can I can feel it more now of that sort of joint pain. And this is where people get things like hamstring attachment tears, right? And so it's pulling from the ischial tuberosity. There's a sort of, uh, the, you're not just pulling on the muscle anymore because the muscle is already weak and bound up from being uh, under strengthened. So it's already short. And then you try to stretch it and you're not even stretching the muscle anymore because the muscle is not receptive to stretching. So you're starting to pull on the uh, points where the muscle attaches and then eventually into the ligaments and the hips and the, and the joints. So I want to be careful with that stuff. And again, strengthening will address that. Just doing some sort of strengthening practices throughout your yoga, which my podcast, Quiet Mind Yoga, you can listen to tons of free episodes where I include strengthening practices for all over the body. So continuing on, uh, Dr. Mr. Matthew says, we all know about the health benefits of yoga. I practice it myself, he says, but like anything, it can cause injury. We can't put it on a pedestal. I don't want to denounce yoga. After all, it's been going for thousands of years, but you have to understand yourself. Mr. Matthew says the problem often boils down to how a person's hips are formed and how flexible they are. What's achievable for one might not be achievable for others, he says. People tend to do the same set positions rather than what's achievable for them. Ego might mean them trying to take a position all the way, quote unquote, to the end when they should just stop where it's comfortable. Just because the person next to you can reach all the way doesn't mean it's necessary or desirable to do the same. All right, this is really well understood in the yoga community and people I've, I've met over the years that of course we're not trying to compare to each other like we all know that in yoga we're trying to meet our bodies where they're at but that little comparison thing creeps up like I definitely have that like it's it's hard not to look around and like maybe everyone else is touching their toes and I'm not it's like oh you know maybe I uh, want to push just a little more than my body actually wants me to and that's why often I'll practice with my eyes closed as much as I can and just be in my own space, right? And then if I do look around, you know, trying to turn off that competitive comparison brain. But it is hard sometimes and it, it does come up. Uh, so that's a real thing. But ultimately, it's like 
do I want to try to push and compare to this person right now? Or do I want to have healthy body, healthy <laughs> hips in, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? And uh, one of my teachers would sort of use the green, yellow, red principle. And he's a physical therapist. He would actually be very conservative and say, stay in the green range, not even to the yellow. Uh, I would say what I've found is pretty safe is like 60 to 80% of your end range, but definitely not in that like 80 to 100. That's going to be the red. <clears throat> I think more like 70 to 80 is like that yellow range. And then like 60, maybe like 70 and under is like that green range, more like 60 and under really is like that green range where everything is safe. You're not going to damage anything. You're not going to overstretch. It actually feels kind of easy, right? And that's what the physical therapist that I work with would recommend actually. You might try that in your own practice and just try it one day, see how it feels, right? Just doing uh, poses within like that 50 to 60 at most, like 70 range, 70% 70 of your end range, where you know, like if you push further, you could go a little further uh, and then you can go way further and hurt yourself, but you go, you know, less. You just kind of pull back and notice how that feels for your body, what that does for your ego, right? And Ultimately, it's just uh, consistency is the most important thing. So if you're doing like 50% of your end range every day, that's going to naturally expand over time. And if you're including strengthening stuff on those same muscles, so you're not just stretching them every day, but you're also contracting them and not necessarily every day, but maybe like three to five days a week doing this kind of practice. You know, you can do more if you want, but even within that three to five range, you're definitely going to see increased flexibility, increased range of motion, less stiffness in general, less limitation, especially if you're doing the strengthening stuff as well, because the muscles respond best to using both contraction and lengthening. So Mr. Matthew says the amount of yoga teachers do, oh, I misread that there. Mr. Matthew says the amount of yoga teachers do as well as the fact they might not be doing any other kind of exercise can explain the problems that develop. They might be doing yoga six days a week and think that's enough without doing any other kind of exercise like cardio or cross training, he says. And I'll just say right here, uh, cardio is totally different than strength or flexibility. It strengthens the heart muscle. It increases, it helps the heart rate, uh, have more heart rate variability. So we have increased elevated heart rate uh, and then we have increased resting heart rate or decreased resting heart rate. Uh, which we don't do in yoga and we might do in strength training depending on the program you're doing or how you're you're training but that's kind of a separate thing in itself so that's important to do just for its own benefits of, of the cardiovascular benefits and he says it's like anything if you do the same thing again and again there can be problems you need to mix it up in terms of the kind of exercise you do yoga teachers i'm seeing are young 40 42 if they come limping and can't walk more than 10 meters or 33 feet, he says, or say uh, that's there's no amount of physio that can help them. If it's two years in, even the best physio can't do anything, right? So if you're walking out of yoga class limping, you've overdone it. If you're spending like five minutes in bound angle pose or supta baddha konasana supine bound angle, you're probably overstretching. If you get out of that and your hips ache, I've done this before and it was like, why am I doing this, right? Just because the teacher left us there for five minutes, like doesn't feel good in my hips. And uh, that was early on in my teaching. And I realized like, 
why am I teaching, you know, why am I doing this? Why do I teach people to do this? Like, that's just too much. There's no reason your hips should ache when you come out of a pose. Like, you've overdone it at that point. And you're starting to pull on connective tissue and uh, ligaments again that are not meant to be that flexible. And that's going to cause pelvic instability and possibly at some point some tears, labrum tear, uh, something that's going to require surgery down the road, which is what Mr. Matthews is talking about here. So sometimes they can have keyhole surgery or hip arthroscopy, That's a, or it's a replacement. Mr. Matthews suggests new yoga teachers should be assessed. You could see what mobility they have and what their body is allowing them to do, he says. Natalie Gartshore has been a yoga teacher for 16 years, and she thinks the popularity of yoga means it's effectively a victim of its own success. I don't think you're told, she says, I don't think you're told very much when you're training as a teacher about physiology or anatomy, she says. There is an overuse issue. If you get people en masse taking up ballet, you'd get the same results. Natalie, now 45, tore the cartilage in her hip five years ago. She now makes sure she manages her class workload and doesn't work weekends, but she says it's hard for newly qualified teachers to do the same. They'll be doing five classes a day, running around, working weekends, she says. Uh, that's all that says. Well, she says, I'm surprised they kind of cut it off there. Yeah, teachers, uh, yoga teachers tend to have pretty hectic schedules early on in their career. Um, but it doesn't really talk about how she, I mean, she does say that um, the lack of physiology and anatomy training is an issue. And there's an overuse issue. These are very significant points. And it is very important that you get perspective outside of yoga teacher training. Go to a physio, go to a, a PT, uh, take a, a certified personal training course like NASM. That's a great one that, that teaches you how the body works optimally, how muscles work. And I had great teacher trainings, phenomenal teacher trainings that taught me how to teach mindfully and responsive to students and everything about yoga. But there was a limited scope on the anatomy portion and the physiology portion as it should be, because that's, you know, that's just sort of a, almost an afterthought historically in yoga. And if you look at traditional Indian practitioners, it's not about understanding the anatomy. It's about using the body as a vessel and just getting into meditative state uh, without, you know, without really dissecting the body like a Western mind would do. But that's where we're at today. And that's what yoga is now, where we have this massive growth of yoga uh, with massive range of bodies and experiences practicing yoga and coming to this practice. And we have this incredible resource of Western mindset and philosophy and science, which I tend to lean more towards Eastern approach on most things, but they just don't have the Western approach, an understanding of physiology, kinesiology, anatomy, and, and that stuff. But put them together and wow, like the practice just opens up on a whole new level where now I have more awareness of my rhomboids and my traps and my back and my hamstrings than ever before, thanks to this Western approach. All right, so we need to have that sort of understanding of the anatomy and alignment and kinesiology to know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what it actually means to like be in down dog and try to press your heels to the ground other than just you know the object of the pose. Uh, and why, and why might you not want to do that, and why would you do that? All right, so understanding how the muscles work and how the whole thing works together, understanding the fascia, the connective tissue. 
So that's stuff that I include in my training. Uh, there's some great teachers out there who include that. If you just look up, you know, things like uh, yoga anatomy, like Leslie Kamenoff is a great teacher talking about these things. Uh, Jason Crandall is a great teacher. So there, there's more resources coming out more and more often. If you keep listening to this podcast, I'll keep sharing things. Listen to my yoga podcast, I'll keep sharing practices there. And I'll close out with just the last thing that they share in this article. Pip White, professional advisor at the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy, says, Yoga is a fantastic activity for people to do with lots of benefits for your health and general well-being. However, as with any form of exercise, it's important to do it safely, and in this case, also understanding your own limits, as we're all built differently. Yoga is not about being in competition with anyone else. If you stay aware of your abilities and practice within your own limits, you will gain all the great benefits that yoga practice has to offer. So those are very common things that many teachers say, uh, but she doesn't, of course, address the things about strength, all the things I mentioned so far, which are lesser known, but I'm sharing them here because they're so important to my own practice and what I've seen with other people over the years. So hopefully they've been helpful for you as well to give you more insight of exactly how to apply this, to not just be alarmed and say, well, yoga is causing hip damage and all these people having to get their hips replaced now because of yoga and overstretching. It's not yoga itself. Yoga traditionally, as you all probably know, and many of you may not know, it's it's not necessarily an asana-based practice. The asana is a vehicle to get to the state of meditation, of yoga, of oneness, of clarity of mind, of focus of mind, presence, embodiment. And all the postures should be facilitating that. And if they're not, then I would suggest that maybe it's not in alignment with what yoga is teaching. And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's about physical fitness alone, or maybe it's about competition alone. And and those things are fine, uh, but they're, they're different, right? So to me, yoga practice should include awareness of strength, awareness of flexibility and balance, all aspects of the body, all aspects of how the muscles work, so that we can use them as a means to create a more holistic awareness of ourselves and of others and a more centered, grounded, engaged, embodied presence. And that what I what I describe, what I would think is yoga defined. So if you found this helpful, leave a review in Apple Podcast or wherever you listen so other people can find this and share it with a friend. And you can check out quietmind.yoga to subscribe to my weekly newsletter where I share about these episodes and other things going on, special events, offers, things that are only on that newsletter for the Quiet Mind community. You can check that out at quietmind.yoga and keep in touch uh, on social media at jeremy.quietmind.yoga or through my email list. Just go to my website. You can sign up for any of my free offers and that's a great way to stay in touch with me as well. All right, so thanks for listening and look forward to sharing more with you soon.